0: be the first on today's program to say that the last time I took a look at my medical record was many years ago when I switched from one primary care practice to another. I got hold of a wad of documents and did my best to decipher some of the information and historical highlights. As for a physician's or doctor's note, it probably wasn't included, and even so, I wouldn't have known where to look or what it looked like. I was unfamiliar with the term until nearly three years ago. That's when Dr. Tom DelBanco was my guest on WIHI, and he, along with some forerunners pushing the envelope with patient portals and transparency from Dartmouth Hitchcock, talked about a transformation that was underway to make the physician note and the entire medical record more readily available and accessible to patients. Well, that transformation may have just taken a big leap forward thanks to some forward thinking healthcare organizations and engaged patients and providers interested in enhancing communications and healing relationships wherever possible. We're unlocking the information, breaking a kind of code, and talking about open notes on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI, an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you biweekly and also for your later listening and convenience. You can find us on IHI.org and on iTunes. And I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan. I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. Dr. Tom Dalbanco, was back with us to discuss open notes, prompted by a very exciting study he and his colleague Jan Walker led. They wanted to find out what difference patient access to physician notes might have, and the results are in. Let me now introduce our guests and reminder that longer bios filled with all sorts of achievements and accolades are on the WIHI show webpage on IHI.org. So first off, half our panel is in the studio today, two out of four, that's not bad. Dr. Tom Dalbanco is the Richard and Florence Lawrence James Tullis Professor of General Medicine and Primary Care at Harvard Medical School. Until 2002, he was Chief of the Division of General Medicine and Primary Care at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. That's a unit he created and led for more than 30 years. Welcome, Tom. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Good to be here. Terrific. Um, All right, wonderful. Across from me and next to Tom is Michael Meltzner. He's the Matthews Distinguished University Professor of Law at Northeastern University School of Law in Boston. Professor Meltzner was first assistant counsel to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund in the nineteen sixties and served as Dean of the Law School from 1979 until 1984. Michael has some legal vantage points to share with us today, but as important his perspective as a patient. Welcome to W.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: All right, two people on the phone now. We've got Robert Harrington. He's currently Professor of Medicine at the University of Washington, excuse me, Medical Director. Uh, Let's try that again. He's currently Professor of Medicine at the University of Washington, Medical Director of the Harborview Medical Center HIV Clinic, Associate Section Chief of Infectious Diseases at Harborview Medical Center, and Director of the Clinical Research Corps of the UW. Center for AIDS Research. Welcome, Robert, and I think we can call you Bob. Is that right?
2: Bob is just fine. Uh, Thanks for inviting
0: me. All right, thanks. Great smile, and I hope uh, today's making you smile too. Thank you for being. (laughs) Thank you for being with us. Also on the phone is Dr. Richard Martin. He is the department director of Community Practice Services Lines in Scranton and Monroe Counties in Pennsylvania, and director of Care Continuum for Geisinger Health Center. Uh, sorry we didn't get Dr. Martin's uh, photo. I thought I had one from Google, but he assures me it wasn't him, and so uh, maybe we'll get one onto our archive page. It's always good to have the person identified whether that's them. I flunk at being a detective, but I'm so thrilled that you're here. Uh, Dr. Martin is actually calling in from Florida today from his vacation, and we really appreciate your making the time. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank oh, you for inviting me. Oh, terrific. So each of our guests has played a role in the study and the findings that form the backbone of today's program and how and why will become clear as we get going. So let's do that. And I'm going to start by asking Tom Delbanco, what's a physician's or doctor's note and why all the interest in it? And is that a more recent uh, interest in this issue? What I'm curious about its historical uh, role. Well, <clears throat> There are
3: some people who don't even realize that after we see patients, we write things down. Um, and they serve many purposes. Um, they describe the patient to a greater or lesser degree. They talk about the problems he or she faces. And um, they also outline what we think um, is going on and what we think a reasonable plan should be for those patients. And that's the doctor's note. It serves many masters in the past. It reminds us what's been happening with the patient when we see them again. Um, we used it with colleagues when they see specialists. Um, quality assurance people look at them. Administrators look at them. Payers look at them. Lawyers on occasion have to look at them. Um, all kinds of people look at them, some illegitimately, most legitimately. But traditionally, they've been a black box for the patient and his or her family or other people in the patient's domain. And I've been thinking for about 35 years that that makes no sense, that the medical record is really the hub of the wheel and that there's no one more interested in it or um, more importantly involved than the patient and those who care about the patient. So why not open that black box to patients? Um, I tried that experiment 30 years ago It failed when um, a patient walked through our hospital with um, records and a specialist thought the patient had major mental illness as a result and called me and asked me to refer him to a psychiatrist. Um, But with computers, it's easier now. Um, Every person in this country is entitled to review their records um, unless there's a very severe mental illness which deems it inadvisable. But we have, um, since time immemorial, made it as difficult as possible for patients to get a hold of those records. And all we did in this experiment is basically invite patients to read what we write about them and then figure out what happens as a result.
0: Okay, so let's talk about this study, and uh, I'll ask uh, John here, maybe you can flash the slide that at least shows you the first page of this article that was in the October 2nd Annals of Internal Medicine. It's called Inviting Patients to Read Their Doctor's Notes, and then there's a subtitle there. Uh, this uh, content, by the way, is all freely available. Uh, you can find it uh, by searching for it right now. I Open Notes' website uh, has it, as uh, will our own. So, Tom, why... So you're to really answer this Why you decided to embark on this inquiry. What were you trying to find out, and uh, what did you find out?
3: Well, we really had three principal questions that we were asking. Um, one of the conundrums in medicine is how to get patients to be more actively involved in their own care. There are data that show that the more actively involved a patient is, the better the outcomes, actually. And... Um, and we saw this potentially as an avenue toward that. So the first question really was, would patients read them? And if so, um, what would they tell us was the impact? And how would they behave? The second question was, would this be the straw that breaks the doctor's back? Doctors are not all so happy about their existence these days, particularly primary care doctors. Um, They feel beleaguered, overwhelmed, um, underappreciated, under, um, under everything, if you will, under the gun, and one real fear we had is that we would tip these things over by having their workflow um, taken apart, by having patients assault them afterwards, by having all kinds of mayhem going on. And the other fear that the doctors had is that they would scare the hell out of their patients. When the patients read their notes, they'd be worried, confused, offended, or what have you. And the basic, most, most simple question we asked, which made it nice research for me because most questions are more complicated, was after a year of doing this, would those doctors who volunteered to do it, we had 105 primary care doctors volunteer to engage in this program, and would the um, thousands of patients involved in this say, we want to go on with this, or we want to stop. So those were the three basic questions we asked.
0: All right, and we hope you will read the study. And we're only going to be able to kind of hit the high points here, but uh, what, what did you find out? And I think we can also show at least some general findings there.
3: Well, with respect to the patients, um, we were first surprised and pleased to find that about nine out of 10 patients read their notes. One out of 10 chose not to do so. But um, at Geisinger, for example, we had three sites. Um, I should mention that. One was urban Boston with suburban and inner-city practices associated with our hospital, Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. The second site is decidedly rural Pennsylvania, where Geisinger is an amazing health system, but kind of in the middle of nowhere with outreach centers, one of which Dr. Martin works in. Um, And then the inner city um, of Seattle, which is a safety net hospital, Harborview is an extraordinary place with general medical units and HIV units there, the HIV units where Bob Harrington works, give primary care, so they were involved. So we had a fairly broad range of sites. And in those sites, patients were signed up to use portals, which meant that they could sign in in a secure way and have access to the notes. And basically they got an an email saying, Dr. Martin has just signed your note. You're welcome to read it. We invite you to do so. And then they got another email a little bit longer after that time, when they were scheduled to see Dr. Martin again, let's say, and um, we invite you to read the emails. Um, you might want to, re- in the, in the notes, you might want to review them before you see him again. That was the simple intervention. We just opened up the black box. And patients were extraordinarily enthusiastic about it. And we got some really very exciting results. Um, more than eight in 10 said they felt in better control of their health care. Um, more than 8 in 10 said they understood their medical conditions better that they were better prepared for visits that they understood better what had happened in the encounters and perhaps the most exciting result to me as a, as a physician and one of the real conundrums we face is how to help patients adhere to their medical regimens better and more than 2 out of 3 patients said they were taking their medicines better now that's an extraordinary result if a doctor can do a study and show a 10% increase in adherence to medicines, um, they feel rightly rewarded and will get much applause. And even if the reports from the patients that we surveyed, um, I should point out that we surveyed patients before and after this one-year-long intervention, um, even if the reports were um, exaggerated fivefold, it would still be an extraordinary result. And what we did find also with focus groups and interviews of patients afterwards, that um, they didn't seem to be exaggerating. We heard all kinds of stories about how the note really served as kind of another set of eyes, watching them, taking their medicines, reminding them, reinforcing their behaviors. So that, to us, was an extremely exciting result. And on the other hand, very few patients were confused, worried, or frightened by the notes. Um, One to eight percent reported being so, while 80 percent of the doctors who didn't participate in this Program. A lot of patients, a lot of doctors, told us to go to hell when we suggested this thing. Eighty percent of them said they were worried that they'd be scaring their patients, they'd be worrying them, they'd be confusing them. So there was a real disconnect there. Mm-hmm. With respect to the doctors, yeah. um, it was much ado about nothing. Um, the most common question I got from my colleagues is, "Are you sure the computer's working?" And they really reported very little impact on their workflow. Um, Fewer than 5% reported having longer visits, which was one thing they worried about. Um, Fewer than 8% said they were addressing more questions from patients afterwards. Um, People did change how they wrote their notes, um, and we don't know if they wrote them better or worse. We didn't study the notes as such, but we got many anecdotes from doctors saying they thought they were writing better notes, that they were more educational, more helpful to their patients as a result of this. Um, Doctors were worried about the way they would write about mental health, um, substance abuse, cancer, and obesity. Um, And they did indeed change the way they wrote about that. But we got many anecdotes in which patients found it was useful. And and Bob Harrington might want to talk about those of his patients with substance abuse, of which he has many. Um, He told us some interesting stories about that. And many doctors reported that this had really um, strengthened their relationships with their patients. But the bottom line is that they hardly noticed it. And that was really fascinating. And and the most important thing I think I can say, we can go into more details, is that at the end of the year, we asked patients if they wanted to go on with it. And 99% of the patients at the Beth Israel, 99% at Geisinger, and 99% at Harborview said keep going, which is, you know, I've done a lot of studies in my life and read even more, many more, and I've never seen a 99% figure in a study. Maybe more important, the 85% said that as they choose a future doctor or health system, um, this would be an important consideration, the availability of open notes. Oh,
0: all right. So um, we were pretty excited by those results. All right. Well, thank you. Appreciate your ticking all that off. And they're all interesting discussion items. And we will get uh, to Bob uh, and, and um, Richard in just a moment about their practices uh, to kind of elaborate on some things you suggested. But let me turn to you now, Michael, uh, does what Tom is talking about here, does that match your experience of such a positive one?
1: Uh, It does. It does. There are plenty of reasons why patients overwhelmingly welcome the chance to read their doctor's notes. In, in my case, uh, I was able to open a window on my doctor's thinking and discuss it with my family. I had a written record of his advice and could fight the selective amnesia that I think uh, um, Many, many patients have, especially when something serious is, is discussed. And while I had a close relationship with him before, uh, Open Notes is a remarkable bonding device. It's something the doctor and the patient are collaborating on.
0: Do you, um, I guess, one of the questions that I'm um, I'm curious about as as we move along through this. Were you surprised by anything that you read there? Well, Would well, you have known what a doctor note was before?
1: Well, uh, as a professional, I certainly know that uh, we take notes. We have to. Um, And uh, I never doubted that doctors took notes, but on the other hand, I never actually thought, well, I want to see it. And the biggest surprise for me was that it mattered so much. I hadn't thought myself lacking in information. And now, um, as uh, Tom Delbanco just said, I don't think I would – want to uh, have a doctor who made a fuss about uh, sharing his notes. Uh, and actually, uh, I'm way past this with primary care physicians. I want specialists to uh, sign on. Uh, I feel the same way about specialists, okay. and maybe even more so.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much, Michael. We'll uh, probe this a, a, a little further. Um, well, maybe I'll just ask you very quickly before I turn to Richard. What was it that mattered to you? I guess what... Um, was it partly more information? Was it a, the reinforcement of things?
1: Well, I think it was, it was that um, it, I could um, discuss issues and uncertainties with uh, my family and my friends. And I think that's a whole invisible aspect of uh, medical treatment that doctors, of course, intellectually know that that happens, but the values of it are in, in, immense,
2: mm-hmm.
1: especially when uh, you're receiving information that comes. Uh, from a specialist's point of view and often it's coded in jargon or even when it's not uh, gibberish, it's uh, technical. And and then there's the aspect I mentioned before of what I call selective amnesia. You Mm -hmm. put all that together to be able to uh, uh, have a document or access to a document if you wish. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of people who don't want to go there just like there are plenty of people who don't want to find out the, what the internet says about their medical conditions, mm-hmm. but it's up to you, and it's it's being a grown-up about your healthcare, and to have that information available allows you to deal with. Um, the problems that uh, you're confronting in the same way you deal with other problems. In other words, you have the information and you can talk to people who can give you honest and candid uh, feedback.
0: Okay. Thank you very much. That's Michael Meltzner. All right. We're going to move around now out of the Boston area. Let me pop on down to Florida where Richard Martin is, Richard, who actually works at, uh, through the Geisinger system uh, in Pennsylvania. So as Tom referenced, you took part in the study, and I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about your practice and w- how taking part in the OpenNote study changed or was maybe even continuous with what you were doing. Was Is there a before and after for you? Uh, yes, there is. Um
4: so I'm a family physician, and as such, care for uh, patients from newborn to hospice um, and um, have a very large practice. Um, we have uh, nine associates in my practice, and early in my career, I was befriended by a physician who was third-generation family physician uh, in his practice which was founded by his grandfather and he commented to me often that the way that he practiced was very little than his grandfather did in the early part of the nineteen hundreds not that we didn't have uh... new and advanced treatment options but the way that care was presented or delivered was very much the same and that has resonated with me throughout my career so i've always been looking for new and innovative ways that that we can make care a little more efficient and a little more better uh, to our patients. Uh, sometimes at a point that I drive my partners um, a little bit crazy with uh, what's coming next. You know? um, but you know that's the culture of our practice. Um, we, we, we try things, we're not afraid to innovate, and, and you know we, we ask questions. So this just sort of fit in with, uh, with the whole culture of our practice, which is almost 30 years uh, old. Um, there, there have been many studies done through the years that actually uh, query patients when they leave a doctor's office as what their recall is, as what was discussed in the exam room. And and those studies, uh, unfortunately, um, haven't shown very good results. Um, Many patients recall very little of what happens or what is said uh, in the exam room when they leave the office. So in my mind, this gave us an opportunity to be able to communicate with our patients. Um, Our patients could go back and review what our advice was, what our agreement for their treatment plans were, Um, and be better prepared for their future visits and, uh, as uh, uh, Tom has mentioned, be more engaged uh, in, in their own care.
0: Richard, can I ask you a question, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. We had talked when we were planning this, if we'd been able to pull it off. I, I was curious what might be almost like a before and after example of a note, uh, just in terms of um, getting an idea of it. Uh, perhaps we all know it if we've seen it. But can you give me just a very quick sense of maybe how you might have scribbled something uh, in your practice over you know over your, your, your years at it, perhaps, and maybe how how this uh, project, uh, the study, maybe has tweaked
4: that somewhat. Is, is that a fair question? Uh, sure, it's a fair question, but uh, <laughs> uh, quite honestly, I, I don't think in my particular case okay. uh, I really changed the way that I write notes. We've, we've had electronic medical records at Geisinger since 1999, so, okay. so we've been engaged with the electronic health record for a long time. Um, when we started this study, we were provided with a list of our patients who had um, agreed. And quite honestly, the, the list was quite lengthy, such that I could never remember you know which patients in my practice uh, had, had uh, agreed to participate or hadn't. Uh, and so I just went on uh, business as usual. I, I wrote my notes. Uh, I had some people over the course of the year ask, ask a few questions but it wasn't overwhelming. And, in fact, when the study was completed and and I was asked to participate in a survey, I actually panicked because I needed to find out which of my patients were actively using the notes, and and I really had no idea unless I I went to our IT folks and and they provided me with uh, that information. So it was quite invisible to me uh, for the most part, but but apparently not so for my patients. The patients who were engaged were very enthusiastic about it, Um, And uh, in in the final analysis, really felt that it did uh, help to improve their care.
0: Terrific. Thanks, Richard. Tom?
3: Just one point. Actually, Rick, patients didn't agree to be in the study. And when you agreed, all your patients on the portal, by definition, were in the study and were getting these notes. And it's really one of the fascinating
4: phenomena (laughs) that that you're echoing here,
3: how little actually happened.
4: Yeah, that explains why I couldn't remember uh, (laughs) the refer to the to remove the opt-outs. There there were no opt-outs. right. um, Except those who had the portal. Okay. And the other thing that I'll comment, we've had a patient portal for about eight years at Geisinger, Uh and and we have had transparency. Patients have been able to communicate with us for medical advice through the portal, make appointments, and receive um, test uh, results, um, you know, via the the portal as well, without necessarily uh, the physician, you know, taking an action to release that information so so we've been quite transparent for years so this was not uh you know an earth shattering change for our culture in that regard either.
0: Okay, thank you very much. All right. Bob, uh, so compare and contrast maybe uh, your experience to what Richard has described uh, and also uh, Tom and Michael here. Um, I don't know if there was a before and after uh, or if anybody changed any of the ways that they wrote things, but uh, were things a little more charged in your practice given some of the seriousness of the issues?
2: (sighs) Well, I think there was the concern that uh, uh, that things might be um, a little bit more charged, but uh, in the end, I think a lot of the fears that some of the physicians had about uh, contentious issues that might come up with patients who have uh, severe mental illness or lots of substance abuse uh, all kind of fell away. Um, we have a different practice than uh, than Rick does. As, as Tom mentioned uh Harborview Medical Center is the safety net or county hospital for Seattle. And uh, the HIV clinic within Harborview cares for uh, around 2,500 to 3,000 uh, HIV-infected patients. And, uh, unfortunately, that carries with it um, a lot of mental illness and social marginalization and substance abuse. Um, so we were uh, – in fact, I was worried that uh, some of my patients who struggle with those issues – and, uh reading notes uh, me describing what's going on would would object to that uh, that there would be some contentious uh, visits down the road uh, but in fact and I think Tom was alluding to this earlier just the opposite happened uh, in in one particular case I had been um, uh, cajoling a patient uh, to um, back away from some uh, narcotic use that he was uh, taking for a painful neuropathy associated with HIV and uh he was on a lot of narcotics uh, to control that and uh was uh uh asking for more regularly and uh after open notes um, that problem disappeared from our visits and uh i think it was that uh he viewed the notes and and saw what i was concerned about and perhaps uh, seeing it in print um uh, carried more weight or more validity and uh, he saw that I was you know looking out for downstream effects of increasing his narcotic dosing and um, and it just fell away as a problem uh, for us and allowed future visits to be more focused on his other substantial medical problems so I think his care improved and I think our relationship improved improved and
0: um, that was a surprise very very interesting so, your mention of surprise Bob um, is a, i just there 's just perhaps two more kinds of questions I want to get in, and then we will go to chat. Let me go back uh, i 'll kind of work uh, back uh, the way we came uh Richard. What was the biggest surprise for you? Um, You've all kind of alluded to that it turned out to not be as big a deal, and I think that's a theme that Tom has suggested. Was there anything else unexpected uh, that might have even burst certain myths or assumptions uh, in in your experience, Richard, Rick? Uh, One
4: one of the things that, that did jump out at me was that in my patient population, it was actually my seniors who used this uh, more so than the the younger uh, population in my practice. Interesting. Uh, the folks that you would think might be a little less uh, computer savvy, uh, but they were the ones that, that really seemed to use it most. And, and, I, and I guess because they have the higher burden of chronic illness and, and, and that sort of thing that would require them to use it most.
0: Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, Michael, uh, any kind of... Myths or assumptions from your perspective.
1: Myths and assumptions. Well, I, um,
0: Versa- unexpected. Um,
1: no, um, as, I, as I told you, the biggest surprise I had was that yeah. it was so valuable, that yeah. it was that it mattered so much.
0: Yeah. Let me um, also, um, and I'm going to. Why don't you, uh, Tom, now address that, and then I'm going to go back to Michael very quickly. But Tom, what about you?
3: Rick has already um, alluded to one of our biggest. Surprises. We, we, we explicitly hypothesized that the people who would like it most are like the audience of, of this podcast and the people in this room, the yuppies and the computer literate, et cetera, and the educated. Um, and we were wrong. <clears throat> the people who reported liking it the most and using it the most was not only the elderly, as Rick alluded to, but also those with the least education. Um, Geisinger in particular has um, about 25% of the patients who returned their surveys had less than a high school grad, uh, um, education, and they were um, highly enthusiastic about this. And um, so we were wrong in that supposition. Um, one of, I don't know if we were surprised, but one of the really important, I think, um, byproducts of this was that Between 20 and 45% of the um, people who um, got their notes shared them with other people. And I think that has enormous implications. You know, most probably with, as Michael has said, with their spouse or loved ones or partners or what have you. But others probably with their uncle, the nurse, or their their aunt, the doctor, or maybe their um, neighbor, the lawyer, for all I know. And I think it's also possible that some of them were um, putting them on Facebook. You know, Gardner says do this. Jones says do that. What do you guys think? Um, So I think this will spawn a very different way of looking at it. My my partner in this, Jan Walker, who's not here but who's my equal partner, makes, I think, a very deep point about this, that the doctor-patient relationship is confidential. If you, Madge, were my patient and I blabbed about your health care to one of your colleagues here, I could literally lose my license. I would be violating one of the sacred canons of my profession. On the other hand, it may be confidential, but whether it's private is now up to you. Mm -hmm. You can do what you want with a note, and that has enormous implications, I think, societally. Just a couple of other surprises. One is in resource use. Um, And I should have thought of this. But um, we had a patient, for example, just recently write to um, his doctor. Um, You know, I looked at my note. I did everything you said we should do. Things seem to be going well. I'm supposed to see you again in two weeks. I want to cancel and come back in six months. What do you think about it? And the doctor said, fine. Well, if you do a little arithmetic and you multiply that by a few million Americans, you're talking about serious dollars. Mm -hmm. And then the other aspect, of course, which we did predict is patient safety and mistakes. We had increasing numbers of anecdotes of people who picked up mistakes in their records, Mm -hmm. and some of them were consequential or things they forgot to do. We had one woman. It's on the website we actually filmed her subsequently, who had been um, told by her doctor to look after a lesion on her back, had forgotten about it, Mm. um, woke up a couple of months later saying, I think there's something I was supposed to do, reviewed her note, went off to the dermatologist, and the dermatologist said, it's a good thing you came now. Mm. So there's, there's there's a disaster perhaps averted. Okay. And um, so that was another thing that had that struck us very hard.
0: All right. Well, thank you. All right, Michael. We're going to open it up for chat, but I want to. I've, I've got up here on the screen for all of you who are logged in. Uh, there are two commentaries that accompany the study in Annals, and one of them was written by Michael, and uh, a patient's view of Open Notes. But it's not just any patient's view. Uh, Michael has the benefit of a very strong and long career in law, and the legal profession, and. Michael, just take maybe um, just a minute or two to tell us, this could be a show unto itself, but some of what's in this piece, again, freely available on the Annals' website, um, were sort of some of your <laughs> guidance to anybody who's kind of worried about some of the legal ramifications.
1: Well, I want to make clear that um, oh, I really come to open notes as a patient, not not as a, a lawyer. Um I just think about some of the potential fears and barriers. Um, uh, I've uh, experienced doctors' nervous uh, lawyer jokes for many, many uh, years when I've sought. Uh, Treatment. And I think doctors are understandably concerned about lawsuits, but it's highly unlikely that litigation is going to be more encouraged by transparency uh, than by mystification and secrecy. There's really no evidence that. more information is going to produce litigation uh, when people sue it's very complicated business and um, just the way in the uh, in the political world, you hear a lot of talk about how uh, uh, medical costs are are skyrocketing because of tort cases well it's that, that's just overblown, and fears of that sort here would be overblown too, I think um, uh, until doctors get the hang of it. Sure, there's, it's going to take a little time, but um, the whole notion of our medical system uh, today is one based on innovation, and I really think of doctors and other health uh, care professionals who I think um, uh, we might want to get to at some point because I think their um, uh, notes are also uh, up for grabs in a way. Uh, but... Doctors and healthcare professionals are uh, uh, in the middle of change, and th- this is a change, and they'll uh, uh, adjust to it just the way they deal with the latest uh, contraption that uh, medical products have, have presented them. It seems to me there's a new one every time uh, I go uh, go for an appointment. Um, and anyway, the res- i think the, the, uh, for the skeptics, the research uh, that uh, Tom has uh, described, that you've described, uh, really um, suggests that many, many of these fears are overblown. I think the biggest barrier, the biggest fear, is loss of control. Doctors are used to doing things uh, mm-hmm. their own way, and they—they th- they think they are free of constraints, although um, increasingly. Maybe they're learning they're not either. Um, so suddenly they have a more knowledgeable patient to deal with. But this is progress. Um, you can't uh, responsibly uh, argue that people should be kept in the dark about their medical conditions uh, today uh, unless these people unless people want to. And there's some people who make that choice. And I think this is a big deal because... Um, it deals with the efficacy of treatment. A patient is not an object like a roast that you, you, you want to put in the oven. The patient is a co-participant in her treatment. And you can't take responsibility for your health uh, un- unless you have information. And to the extent people taking responsibility uh, will save money, well then obviously um, open notes is not just a nice thing to do because we're liberal and want to share information. It's enormous implications for the cost issue, which is maybe the biggest issue in healthcare today.
0: Thank you very much. Okay. Well, a lot of really uh, very, very very, very um, solid issues there. So, John, um, it looks like people, uh, the chat is open and people know what they're doing. Do you just want a quick reminder to everybody? Thank you. We'll start uh, ticking off your questions. Yeah, just make sure that you uh, chat to all participants. Uh, That way we can uh, make sure that everybody here in the room and everybody on the chat can see it. Uh, Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot. All right. So, I'm going to try and get to as many of these as I possibly can. Somebody has asked, was the Note study considered a QI project at each institution?
3: Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, we had to go to the IRB because we were doing research, the Institutional Review Board. And What we discussed was this quality improvement. What we did not need to do, thank God, is get con- informed consent from 20,000 el- eligible patients one after one, because what we were doing, as I implied earlier, we were making it easier for them to do what they had the right to do anyway. And we just made it easy for them to get a hold of their record rather than making them go through the many hoops that probably each person listens to has experienced or knows about in his or her own um, place. Um, When they did surveys, they were giving implied consent, and we certainly um, framed the surveys before and after the study, explaining that no one had to do anything in order to continue in it. But um, I think in the future it is quality improvement. I I might say, by the way, that our hospital has been so struck by these results that maybe somewhat to my amazement and certainly to my pride, And the clinical chiefs of the hospital and the CEO have decided to move ahead with open notes throughout. And that means the specialists, the house staff, the doctors in training, the nurses' notes, occupational therapists, physical therapists, social workers. Clinical pharmacist, everyone who writes and signs a note in our electronic medical record, the notion is that in the future these notes will be open to the patients whom we serve. That to me is a pretty exciting thing. And I know that Geisinger and Washington, the University of Washington, not only Harborview, but the other centers are contemplating the same moves. I might mention that M. D. Anderson this enormous cancer hospital that has 30,000 new cancer patients a year coming to Houston, ten from 10,000 from Houston, 10,000 from the rest of Texas, and 10,000 from the rest of the world, has opened its notes to everyone. And um, the world hasn't ended,
0: and the patients like it a lot. Thank you very much. Okay. Jose yeah. has asked. Oh, go ahead. Who's that? I
4: was just saying, can I, yeah, this is Rick. Can I comment on that? Please uh, go uh, ahead. I, uh, yeah. Uh, how we're going to roll this out uh, at Geisinger first through our uh, 40 primary care practices, uh, we, we will need to develop a mechanism to, to track it and, and track results. Um, uh, we, we will be having a discussion at our leadership in a week, uh, and, and I think that the QI or how we track this will be part of that discussion. So I would answer that as, as not yet But I think it will be rolled into QI in some way, shape, or form as we move forward with it.
0: Thanks, Rick. Uh, Bob, I'm going to throw this question to you. Uh, A couple people have – well, there's two kind of related things. Somebody has asked which mental health conditions are not indicated for open notes. That's the first question, and how is that managed? And then a second question, maybe somewhat related, uh, somebody has said in the behavioral healthcare care field, we are beginning to write the note with the client to engage the client and increase transparency, so it's a shared endeavor. You want to see if you can address both of those? Uh, sure, maybe Tom can, can help me out here. I think when
2: we, uh, we were given a list of patients, uh, of our patients, and we ticked off those that we thought would be, uh, inappropriate for open notes, and I think that most of the providers uh, that participated chose not to include patients who had uh, active psychotic condition. So people who suffered from paranoid uh, schizophrenia or other non-specific uh, psychotic uh, symptoms uh, typically weren't included uh, in the Open Notes program. But other than that uh, category of patients, I think those with other serious mental illness, uh, severe depression, bipolar disease, uh, personality disorders were not uh, excluded from the program. Um, what was the second
0: question? All right, was, Tom, uh, wants, Tom's going to comment very quickly on that one, and okay. then, then I'll go back to the other one. Yep.
3: I have been delighted and surprised by the enthusiasm in our hospital from the leaders in psychiatry and social work about this. Um, they're extraordinarily um Enthusiastic. Now, I have some Freudian friends who think I should drop dead. But um, most of the people in the mental health field that I've talked to think it makes sense, including co-generating. We're even generating notes. And, in fact, we're contemplating a study in our hospital in our locked psychiatric ward for severely disturbed people um, inviting them to write the notes written by their tending physician daily while they're hospitalized in the hope of improving their care and they're they're very enthusiastic about this and um, and i suspect in the future very few people will be quote disqualified from this there are some people who will be hurt by reading their note I, i i envision this kind of as a new medicine I think it's designed to help most people. And every medicine we've ever come with has has contraindications and side effects. Some people will be hurt. We should talk about them with it in advance if we can, or we should pick up the pieces afterwards. But, um, you know, I'm obviously a believer in transparency, and I do see a day when patients will write these notes with us, will sign them with us, and in effect, they'll really become a contract between us and them for where care will go ongoing.
0: That was – thank you very much, Tom. Uh, And, Bob, that was the second part of the question somebody had talked about a kind of new uh, practice getting going, which is working with the patient, particularly in the mental health field, to actually work on a note together as a collaborative process. Is that something you could envision? Well,
1: can I comment on that?
0: Michael, first, and then Bob. uh,
1: Full disclosure, I happen to be a a, um, Massachusetts-licensed family therapist also, and we've been doing this uh, for years. We've been sitting down with patients and describing exactly what happened in the session together. So it's not, a, it's not novel.
0: All right. Well, something that can be shared and, and taught. That's great. Can you believe how many different dimensions we've got with Michael as our guest here? It's really uh, terrific. Uh, Bob, what, what do you imagine about that in terms of a collaborative thing?
2: I think, uh, I think it's a great idea. In fact, much of the time uh, uh, when providers write their notes, they're, they're scribes for what the patients are saying. So uh, it takes a lot of time to uh, listen to the patient and then uh, convey that in a note. And if if patients are doing that for you, again, I think it's a time-saving thing and probably enhances communication. So I think it's a great idea.
0: Thank you. Somebody has asked, as from the perspective of a patient, how would you recommend that I or others request, request, I get that word out, their primary care physician or provider go to an open notes format? Tom? Um,
3: I'm glad this question was asked because one of the things I want to emphasize is that this, this is not computer dependent. Um, I, for many years, dictated my notes with my patients and gave them copies of them. Um, paper and pencil can work fine or a type note or whatever. There's nothing that says one shouldn't mail a note or email a note or I guess fax is pretty well gone by now. Um, and so basically, I think patients should ask doctors for their notes. Patients should ask nurse practitioners for their notes. Um, I actually think that this may be a change in care. I hope this will become the standard of care within the next few years that will be um, come from the consumer side. I think patients will ask for it. At our hospital now, not all, By no means all the primary care physicians agreed to participate, but they're hearing from their patients, why didn't you we want you to? And, um, and when you see the results, when you see what the patients report having happened to them, and we raise in the paper really the ethical question, is it right not to do this? And I feel pretty strongly about that.
0: Somebody has asked here whether or not... We just ha- you happen to have worked with a very enlightened group, either enlightened organizations or, in, in some sense, this this is partly my paraphrasing here, enlightened providers, uh, and that it's not necessarily representative of uh, kind of the, <laughs> the the world out there and and how most providers feel. You've alluded to the fact that some people have uh, told you to take a walk and c- come, you know. What are, what are your thoughts? And maybe uh, l- let me let me start with. Uh, uh, you, Rick, do you feel you're in? You got a lot of company with amongst your physicians out there.
4: Um, well, this was offered to all of our providers, and it was voluntary. Um, some volunteered a little easier than others, but nobody was coerced uh, into participating. Um, you know, as I mentioned earlier, in in my particular practice, you know, we we've had. Sort of a culture of innovation, so to try something new is not anything different for us. But across some of our specialty lines, uh, I think this was was something that was a, a major change and a major challenge. Um, I'm sure, you know, like in everything else, there are some early adapters and late adapters. So I'm sure that some of the people that volunteered are, are those of the early adapter set. Um, and, and this may take, you know, some work as we move forward to convince others that it's the right thing to do.
3: I went. Out, uh, Oops. <laughs> I, there were four groups of physicians there were those of us who said you've got to be crazy there were, there were, and, went and didn't do it and this was voluntary and, and in that sense of course it's not a cross section of America um, there were those who were really enthusiastic about doing it and kind of said why didn't I think of that there were those who said you know um, I don't really want to do this Um But um, I like to give things a try. And there were those that said, you know, this is going to happen to us. Transparency is here to stay. It's here in the rest of the country, whether it's your banking, whether it's what your politicians are increasingly being asked to do. I don't know if they always do it. in every walk of life, transparency is really growing, and there's no reason why it shouldn't come and won't come to medicine. It may even come to lawyers, actually, Michael. And, um, and um, That's going too far. <laughs> and, and, um, and so, you know, if some change is inevitable, I might as well be in there early. So those who volunteered were a mixed bag. Yeah. Um, and, in fact, my, my greatest pleasure was those who really kind of came into it almost kicking and screaming, coming up to me. One of them came up to me and said, I feel much safer now. Mm. I've got another set of eyes on what I'm doing. I like that a lot. That's very interesting. Uh, another one came up to me and said, I disqualified some patients. I want you to turn them on for all of them. That was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have some real converts. And, and most importantly, those who said no, who read the results of the study, what the patients said, came up to me and said, I guess i got to do it because if I get that kind of mandate from patients, it's not right for me not to do it. But we're not representative. Um, there will be people who don't like it at all, and there are good arguments against it. There will be unintended consequences. Um, this is, is we're at the Model T stang- stages of this kind of evolution. I'm excited about it. I'm an enthusiast. I'm also a scientist. I had surprises. I'll have more surprises. Some of them will be unpleasant. I can think of unpleasant consequences, and, um, and um, you know, time will tell.
0: I'm, thanks, Tom. Michael, did you
3: want to say something? Well, I, I think social
1: change is, is not something that happens all at once. It's jagged, it's uneven, it's unpredictable. Um, but uh, you know, I'm a senior citizen, and uh, for a long time, I said, well, I'm not. I don't need one of these cell phones. <laughs> and then finally, I got a cell phone, and uh, I used it for a few years, but. Now I said, well, I need one of these smart cell phones. (laughs) That's the way it happens. Um, And I think that's what's going on here.
0: One of the interesting things that I'm seeing uh, in some of the questions, and I want to say to everyone who we we don't get if we don't get to your particular issue, I want to encourage you to go to the website myopennotes.org, which also has a means of corresponding uh, with the people who are involved in this whole initiative. You can uh, ask questions and comments there. So I apologize if we don't get to everything today. People seem to be asking some things really that have to do with sort of helping people who. uh, whether it's paper or computer Tom you know may not be savvy in any respect they may have some other cultural or language barriers so it may not be kind of second nature just to how to go about all this and how uh, environments can be created uh, to kind of give people a leg up on this I am aware that on the website there's some very uh, interesting things in there about how do you get this started how how might you go about this what are some guidelines uh, for patients and providers alike um, but I think as we head to the the top of the hour, I'm maybe, uh, I want to give everyone a, a, a parting shot, but I guess it relates to one of these questions that came in there, which is, does this kind of have to do with caps and might this also be good part of a discharge plan and instruction? So um, I'm going to ask you, Tom, and then I'll have everybody get a last word in there. Do we need any new rules and regs and pressures, and does this need to be hardwired into a whole lot of other uh, programs and uh, initiatives that are out there right now?
3: That's a very interesting question. I I began my life as a political scientist, and I had the privilege of serving on the Hill for a year um, a long time ago on a sabbatical. And um, there's something called meaningful use that most of the audience knows about, with the president saying we want to promote electronic health records and we want people to use them and basically we'll pay you well or not so well, but we'll pay you if you begin to do it. And that has a regulatory smell to some people, particularly those who don't particularly want to do it. I personally don't want open notes to have a regulatory odor to it. I would like people to do it because they want to, both patients and both providers. And we're frankly shying away from trying to build it into rules and regulations. Um, I think it will become the standard of care. I think there will be a day that if I ended up in court with Michael going after me as an attorney and I didn't have open notes, he would say, Dr. Delbanco, uh, I think you were violating the standard of care. And and Dr. Delbanco, being schizophrenic as he is, would probably welcome that comment, but might not do so well on the stand. but I would rather this evolve as a societal imperative. And, and the last thing I would say about it is I think not only will patients get a lot out of it, I think providers will love it also. I think it's going to bring a partnership that makes being a healthcare provider even more rewarding than it already has been, just as um, making it will make a patient um, do better with his or her, her own care over time. Thank
0: you. Pop, uh, let me uh, give you a, a quick last word. Uh, maybe you could even tell us uh, what's going to happen next uh, at Harborview with this.
2: Uh, sure. Uh, well, I agree with Tom. I think that uh, having it develop as the standard of care, and I think that will happen when we have some outcome data showing uh, the true benefits of, of uh, open notes programs. Um, in my practice in particular, and Tom mentioned this earlier. Um, you know, taking medications is is key. It's uh, maybe even more important than other chronic medical conditions uh, like diabetes or hypertension, where if you miss your medications for a day and then you take them the next day, they're likely to work. Uh, for people with HIV, if you miss your medications uh, several days and then start taking them again, they may no longer work for you. So for my practice and uh, and for the patients we care for, uh medication adherence is is key is is life-saving and if there are programs like open notes that show that uh, they enhance the chances that patients will take their medications reliably um, that will extend their lives it'll also keep their virus suppressed so they don't uh transmit it to their partners so there are obvious personal and societal benefits that are extraordinary And if open-notes programs um, uh, can enhance that, then I think it will become the standard of care, and uh, everyone will want to adopt it.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Bob. Rick, uh, any kind of parting words? You did discuss uh, sort of some rollout plans a little earlier in the call, but uh, any kind of takeaways, uh, thoughts to leave us with?
4: Yeah, I I think in the primary care world, you know, we, we are being held more accountable for measurable medical quality as we move forward. So, so the days of judging a physician by whether you wait in the waiting room uh, or whether you get a phone call return are over. We now actually have objective measurements, what percentage of a doctor's practice of diabetics are at goal, what percentage of blood pressure and lipids are at goal, and so on and so forth. And I think as we move forward, to have patients be more engaged in, in their care, those sort of things, you know, the providers know what medications to prescribe. It's the education piece and the engagement piece of what happens the rest of the patient's life outside of the doctor's office that really makes a difference in, in those uh, metrics of, of their health and well-being. And so for, particularly for di- diseases that don't cause any acute symptoms like diabetes and high blood pressure, and when the symptoms start, it, it's way too late to institute a good treatment then. Uh, I think that as we move forward that, that this is something that will really help with patient engagement and help with patient education. Whether we use it for meaningful use or age caps or, you know, after visit summary, things like that that are required now and are all being built in silos, I think it's way too early to answer that question, but, but there's certainly lots of different potential and I'm sure lots of things that we haven't even thought of uh, as we move forward
0: with it. Thank you so much. Michael last uh, word goes to you.
1: Well my parting shot would be to hope that the movers and shakers in this world uh, devote themselves to access issues. Uh, My great fear is is, is, and I think one of the uh, chat uh, comments seem to go in this direction. Is that um, this will be great for one segment of the population, but will uh, uh, leave a large, uh, large portions of the. Uh the poor, the disabled, the immigrant, uh, people with language and other uh, social problems out. And uh, whether this is computer based or not, I do think uh, access issues are are the key to uh, feeling good about the next phase of development
0: here. Thank you so much. All right, a big thank you to Bob Harrington, Richard Martin, Tom Delbanco, and Michael Meltzer. Really appreciate the time you put into this. Thank you for being such an engaged audience today, John. Uh, we're we're really just at the top of the hour. You want to remind everybody about uh, our forum coming up?
1: Yeah, well, we've learned a lot this afternoon about how uh, electronic health records and communications between patients and providers can engage patients and enhance quality of care. Another great opportunity for learning is IHI's National Forum, uh, December 9th through 12th in Orlando. This year, we're featuring great sessions on how health information technology can help your organization or practice put the patient at the center of their care. Visit
0: us at IHI.org slash IHIforum for more information or Reach out to us at info at ihi.org. All right. Thank you so much, John. And I want to uh, really thank everybody uh, who took part today. You can find out more on myopennotes.org. You can share some comments on IHI's Facebook page. Thank you for filling out the survey when we log off today. Next up on WIHI on November 15th, Reality knocks with reducing hospital readmissions. Pat Rutherford and Betsy Bradley are going to be with us, and you don't want to miss their expert perspective on what's going on in the country Uh, with those issues right now. Very timely. We've got a live Web page on that right now, so you can hurry on over and sign up if you'd like. When you log off the program, you can also download the chat and look tomorrow morning for an archived version of the program, the audio, a resource document, along with the chat and the slides. Any questions for us in, uh, whatsoever, you can email us at info at IHI.org. Again, thank you to my guests. Thank you, audience, the people who help make WIHI possible here at IHI, are Mike Sweeney, J- Jameson Case, Jesse McCall, Alan and Vicky. Min- and John Gothier, Jane Rossner, Val Weber, and Matt Morse, and Dina Cox. We also have some original arrangements that open and close the program, as in the music side, and we've got um, our gang is sideways there. It's my privilege to host a program that's about spirited learning and improving patient care, most of all, for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. I'm Madge Kaplan. Thanks so much. Good day, everyone.